0: you to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdahl, C70 at the bat, at C70. On Twitter with me, as always, at Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman. On the Twitters, the Cardinals, he had a rough week. Um, and it's it's really interesting, Tara, that we got a little bit worked up on the loss of the, in the wild card round to the Padres, only for like 15 minutes later mm-hmm. to have that go completely out the window whereas i don't know that anybody's really even thought about it since then because of the passing of bob gibson you know we're just what six weeks or so maybe not even that from the loss of lou brock it feels like a, that was a couple of you know one-two punch there of of taking legends away from from the cardinal nation that have you know grown up knowing those guys
1: yeah a tough blow to say the least and it's man, it's, it's hard to process that. And, you know, I, I imagine that there's a a different generation who would have that same reaction to a different group of baseball players. But Mm -hmm. for me, you know, I didn't watch Stan Musial play. I didn't even watch Bob Gibson or Lou Brock play necessarily. Um, you know, it wasn't like they were the the core of my baseball fandom, but they were the guys right before that. You know, they were the guys that it was like, OK, this they're still around and they're still part of this and they still tell their own stories and not just, you know, everyone else tells their story. And they were just that constant presence at spring training or, you know, when they would show up um, in the booth one time during the season and, of course, opening day. There's something so special about the connection between those guys and the way that they created that legacy for themselves and then their reach to the new generation of baseball players. And I'm sure that to some degree it's like that for every organization, but the Cardinals have had such a great group of guys that did that right guys that reached back and tried to stay involved or tried to mentor or were even just there sometimes it's kind of like a figure (laughs) of of the days past but in a way that they still felt like part of the fabric of what this team was and what the team meant to the city and to in such quick succession lose two of those guys it's it's hard to wrap your head around and you know, then of course kind of in context of the moment to learn that right on the heels of such a disappointing loss uh, certainly puts things in perspective, but also Mm -hmm. just kind of adds to the heaviness of, you know, the last several days or so.
0: Yeah. It's been a, a rough few days to be a Cardinal fan and you're, you're right. I think there are some organizations that have this at least to some degree, but you know, the Cardinals, have such that rich history um, to the fact that, you know, we're talking about Brock and Gibson guys that were involved and stuff. Those guys, their career was over before about eight or nine of these teams that we have today even existed. Yes. You know, I mean, they're just not a possibility for the Mariners or the Rockies or something. They, they've got their own guys. They've got Griffey. They've got Todd mm-hmm. Helton, but they can't have, quite the same depth, the same time and perspective as a guy like Brock or a guy like Gibson, or, you know, even just a few years ago, Red and and Stan Mm -hmm. who are, and you're right, they are involved. They're going, they're in spring training. They're, they're mentoring this coming upcoming guys. It's that connection between Bob Gibson and Jack Flaherty, um, you know, to span that kind of generation and, and to see and to know Gibson saw something of himself in, in a guy like Flaherty mm-hmm. yeah. is just, I mean, it, that just adds to what Flaherty's already doing. To know that, you know, hey, it's one thing if we think Flaherty's pretty good, but if Bob Gibson thinks Flaherty pretty good, he's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to lose those kind of guys. And we talked about this when Brock um, and passed, and I read a little bit about this week, but. You know, there aren't too many guys left with that kind of mythic background, if yeah. you will. Um, Ozzy's probably the last one for the Cardinals. Molina mm-hmm. uh, may be the, the next one they can have. And there's guys like Carpenter, Wainwright, uh, Edmonds, Roland. These guys are good. These guys are are going to make an impact in the Cardinal nation, but they're not going to have that same kind of overarching all of baseball knows when they pass kind of thing like, uh, like a Gibson does.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, what's so special just kind of from the baseball perspective about those guys, whether it's Stan or whether it's Bob Gibson or whether it's Lou Brock. I mean, these are guys who uh, like they changed baseball. Uh, They still have records. They, so it's not just in terms of, Oh, they were beloved in St. Louis. It's they changed the game and then stayed around long enough to pass that on to other people. And that's what was so remarkable. I think I said the same thing when we talked about Loop Rock, just watching the way that people reacted, watching the way people talk about someone. I mean... Granted, I don't know that there would be too many instances where, you know, someone would pass and, and everybody would say like, well, now let me tell you what I really think about <laughs> this person. But the sincerity of the emotion and the sincerity of of the stories that they recalled and the impact that both Lou Brock and Bob Gibson had on this generation of ballplayers, it tells you a lot about they weren't just around for their own gain and for their own desire to be around the ballpark. They were there with the intent of making an impact and on making this generation of ball players who are also people, not just mm-hmm. athletes better in both of those areas. And yeah, it's they, they changed the game at large and they were able to impact people on a, a one-on-one level too, which is, You know, you can't ask for more than that from the people that you watch and admire from a distance.
0: You said that maybe people wouldn't speak ill of the dead, but nobody was going to speak ill of Bob Gibson while he was alive. (laughs) And I'm not sure they're real comfortable with saying anything about him, even if he is gone. Because, you know, if there's anybody that was uh, that had that uh, legendary scowl, that Mm -hmm. legendary. you know, I, I remember reading a story, um, I think it was in George Wills' Minute Workbook, I read it somewhere, of when Gibson was the uh, pitching coach for the Atlanta Braves, and a guy stood in, and he said, hey, come on in here, Eddie, and he said, the name's Ed, and he said, okay, Ed, and he hit him in the first pitch with, <laughs> in the ribs, um, and but he's taking batting practice. I mean, Gibson, suffered no fools Um and he <laughs> still felt like every hitter was a fool i think to some degree too so um to have that to have that legendary hmm, uh, reputation and then you know as he is in his older years and he's retired and he's away from the game and it helped that tim mccarver was on ball um uh, you know doing announcing and kind of helped maybe humanize him a little bit, but uh, to know that there was, you know, there was a heart under there. There was a a sense of humor and things of that nature. um, Just added to the, the well-roundedness of what a guy like Bob Gibson was. It's, you know, obviously, you know, we're farther, getting farther and farther away from, you know, the glory days of the sixties. And these things are going to happen, especially as these two with Brock and and Gibson, both battled cancer uh, to the, to the end. But, um, it's it's still hard because these, I mean, up until what, just a couple of years ago, probably even every time we've seen these guys, they've seemed to be in the fullness of health. So to, yeah. to lose them, especially in a year like 2020, where we haven't seen anybody um, to lose them is a little bit of a shock.
1: Yeah. And I did think it was interesting that a couple of the players noted that they were aware of the worsening condition of mm-hmm. Bob Gibson throughout that week, but you're right it it is different in the sense that normally that would have been you know perhaps known in advance just as far as the fact that he wasn't around at certain events or the explanation as to why he wasn't as present or as public or you know just the the difference in the people who would normally be seeing him not seeing him um and that's not something that anyone really had the chance to do this year so It seemed like it was a a shock, a surprise, even though, you know, the team and the organization seemed like they obviously knew what was going on. But that makes the that makes that abrupt Mm -hmm. announcement makes it, you know, even more of a kind of a gut punch than it would have been otherwise, because we didn't get that opening day with with him in a red jacket and we didn't get to okay. see him around spring training or you know on the the field at other times and you didn't get to see the the photos of those interactions with Jack Flaherty so it feels like the loss is a, a little more um it it feels like even more was taken away because yeah. you didn't get that last experience and you know I think I would imagine a lot of the, the players feel that same way because no extra people could be around this year Mm -hmm. and especially someone who was dealing with an illness anyway they didn't get that last chance to have Uh, that last interaction with him either
0: yeah uh 2020 has a lot to answer for uh, at some point in time and uh you know we just look forward to some point in time maybe to actually turning the calendar to a better year um, and we are going to have to turn the calendar on the Cardinals season as well, because the Cardinals, as we said, lost in three to the Padres in a series that was very, well, the first two games, at least, was very unlike um, this Cardinal team. And then game three was exactly like this Cardinal team. <laughs> but, you know, the first two games, they they come out, they they score runs. Um, the runs that they give up come out of the bullpen, which was weird. Um and for the most part, Tara, I think it kind of went back to this this point we've continued to make all year long. They play to the level of their competition, good or bad, and that's pretty much what they did. They played the Padres to, you know, a, a situation where they took them to the best of three. They took them to game three and. Easily could have won that series, um, but they didn't. They didn't embarrass themselves, um, which is kind of surprising for a team that got swept by Pittsburgh this year.
1: <laughs> They've had plenty of opportunities to uh, to vault themselves into a different tier. They've had <laughs> plenty of opportunities to embarrass themselves as well. Yeah, it was a strange series in the sense that, look, the offense has been the biggest question mark all season. And we battled back and forth the week prior about who should start game two or when Kim should start or when you see Jack Flaherty and who's better, Adam Wainwright or Jack Flaherty. And, you know, as it turned out, Jack Flaherty had the best start of the Mm -hmm. starters in that series, but the offense really only came to play twice. And in one of those games, they scored nine runs and still lost. So there're so many ways that that series could have broken a different way. You know, I think it's tough. The 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 thing that the Padres have going for them this year, that energy, that confidence that swagger, if you will, that, you know, rubs some people the wrong way. But quite honestly, I think is a big part of the reason they've been able to be successful in a season like this. It's not to say they're not talented enough to be successful without that little extra boost, but to make it through a season as odd as this one is with that same energy level and that same kind of output that, look, it didn't really show up in game one, but In game two, it felt like they got the Cardinals were let off the hook so many times that once they got one, it felt like it was going to kind of snowball into a lot more. And that's exactly what happened. So they have maybe that little bit of spark that the Cardinals don't have this year. And that may be a product of how many games they played in, you know, like 12 days and um, just the struggle that it was to get to the end of the season. and. The Cardinals still, even that said, had their chances in every single one of those games to blow it wide open. They had the bases loaded and didn't score. They had runners at, you know, second and third and didn't score. They had opportunity after opportunity, especially in that last game, and literally didn't score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is what ended up. I guess you could make the argument that the bullpen cost them in game two because they did score nine runs and still didn't win. But their inability to capitalize on those opportunities, which is something we've seen all season, is what ultimately cost them because they had every chance in that last game to do something against a bullpen that was tired and, you know, running on fumes and no one even knew who was going to pitch next. It was kind of a, you know, dig your stick your hand in the bag and pull out a name and call them to you know come to the mound kind of situation and i couldn't put anything together against that and now i'm kind of rambling now but in in terms of going forward with this team that's the thing that concerns me the most because they knew who they were facing in game 1 and game 2 and they clearly had a plan early in the game for those guys mm-hmm. in particularly game two, they were able to score off of multiple pitchers. But it was the game where the pitching opposite them was such an unknown that they seemed to not be able to put anything together. And yes, you can credit the pitchers on the other side for making their pitches when it counted, but there's got to be something in that gap between the the known commodity of the opposing pitcher where you can create a plan And the guy you weren't expecting and being able to adapt in the moment. And that's what they haven't proven themselves able to do in whatever this structure is, whatever this system is that Jeff Albert is developing. And I don't know if that's the talent or if it's the strategy, but something about it doesn't work when the Padres can throw that collection of (laughs) pitchers at the very end of their ropes based on what else had happened in the previous week and not give up a single run. Yeah.
0: I will say that the idea of throwing you know nine different pitchers does mean that nobody can get quite adjusted to a right. pitcher to some degree. There is something to that. And I feel like the putters did a good job of making sure that any kind of tired pitcher didn't go very far. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yes, they had opportunities. They should have. I mean, in game one and game two, part of this, and I think some of the players were saying it, were that idea that, oh, we're rested now. We could hit the ball well, you're in game three <laughs> I mean if you're that you can't be if you're that worn out from scoring nine runs then which would explain a lot of this off the season too but um there's there's something that's still very fundamentally flawed in this, and I think that's what you're you're getting at, and I think it becomes incumbent on the front office to not say, oh, look, you know, they just needed rest. They scored runs in the in the postseason, but to actually address what has seemed to be a continuing problem. I mean, again, if this was just 2020, I think we would just throw it out. But this is very, very familiar because it looks exactly like last year. And it's I feel like I feel like we kind of bought the idea that that Jeff Albert was trying to do too much last year. I don't know if that continues to work this year because even though there's a short sample size and everything else, it just feels like something needs to be done because there's no way you can have another year offensively sputtering like this.
1: Yeah. And even under the premise that he was trying to do too much last year, if he's still trying to do too much, then mm-hmm. he's not the guy you want in that position. If yeah. he can't adapt the strategy to the people that he has to work with, then it doesn't matter how good his strategy is. If you're not going to fill the, the lineup with guys who can handle it, then it's not going to work out well. So, yeah, you know, it, it's... the 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 reality of 2020 is the reality of 2020 and you have Mm -hmm. to take that into account i think that that would be something i would lean more towards as far as the pitchers and the inconsistency with some of them whether it's you know jack Flaherty and maybe not looking quite like jack Flaherty, um and the same thing with you know some of the injuries for the pitchers or, or whatever whatever it is um That to me is where there's a very clear line of I am not going to cast judgment on this because nothing about the way they had to do their job was normal. And yes, the same thing is true for the hitters, but they were out there every day and Mm -hmm. sometimes in multiple games a day, which could, (laughs) uh, of course, backfire and then become more of an issue. And I understand that Yadier Molina basically said that that you know sometimes the the bats get a little heavy when you're playing as much as they were, and that's certainly a factor, but. The, the strategy, the knowing how to face a pitcher that maybe you weren't expecting to, to face and being able to make those adjustments so that you don't leave guys, you know, you don't leave the bases loaded as much as they did this year or whatever it is. Um, you know, if you're not going to go out and add multiple heavy hitters to the lineup and feel confident in that, then you really are banking on their ability to, 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 um, execute a strategy that it doesn't seem like they've really grasped yet or at least in uh, at a level in which they can execute it and that's where like I said if that means that Jeff Albert's philosophy isn't working I mean two years in if it's that different than what these professional hitters have been doing their entire lives uh, maybe it's not that great I, I don't know and like I said of course, the talent level comes into play. It's hard mm-hmm. to know how much blame you put on the hitting coach as opposed to on the player for not executing. But if it's a strategic thing that's just a, a new philosophy or a new way of thinking about things, at some level, you have to wonder, how much time are you giving that to work? And is it worth it? Is it really that much better than what you know people have done before successfully? that you would give up multiple seasons of offensive success in order to learn the curriculum so that you can watch guys leave St. Louis and then have to Mm -hmm. teach you guys all over again.
0: There is that for sure. And, um, and you know, when you've imported a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, does how much does he need to be learning a new curriculum? Obviously this year he kind of, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough to, to look at swings, but if you look at results, it may be that he just threw it out the window and just went back to what he was normally doing because we saw much better results out of him this year. We've talked about the offense's issues and the pitching staffs, but how much blame do you put, if any, on Mike Schilt and John Log for this series? I mean, we look at this roster and... You know, Tyler O'Neill and Brad Miller who lead the team in home runs get a total of one at bat um, to the point that Tyler O'Neill gets pinch hit for after coming into game three uh, in the last inning by Austin Dean uh, so he got to play in the field for two innings but not hit that was weird um, you know she went to uh, Cabrera in game two instead of maybe a, a Gomber or a Ponce de Leon or somebody like that. Um, you know, roster construction, we, they took three pit, they took three catchers, didn't use any of them except Yadier Molina, uh, which we could have seen coming. Um, it was just kind of, I don't know that anybody really covered themselves in glory in this series.
1: No. And uh, a lot of those things left me kind of scratching my head thinking like, there's gotta be a reason for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Tyler O'Neill thing just boggles my mind. And I don't know if it's, like because he almost has to be hurt right right yeah there there has to be something that's limiting him to make that kind of decision otherwise it just looks like uh, it looks weirdly like a personal vendetta (laughs) it's (laughs) like i'm not gonna give you this which i can't imagine is a real thing but boy it doesn't look great and it i'm sure wasn't what tyler o'neill had in mind but it's so hard to get a grip or to get a real clear picture of who Tyler O'Neill even is because we keep seeing this happening where he'll be on a great run and they'll talk him up and talk about what great at bats he's he's taking and he'll change a game with you know one swing and then he won't you won't see him for like seven days <laughs> like what yeah. what is happening here and then for that to be the way he was utilized in a postseason series uh, I there's no no real logic. Um, to that other than there's there's something that they're just not willing to share with the public which then leaves Mike Schultz open to the criticism of what are you doing and i think he certainly deserves some of that for the des- decisions that he made in the series um, i i i don't know there it would there were things that it was like i don't i don't even know how you would explain that and it didn't work so (laughs) (laughs) it really you know it's not like this mad hatter um everything he touches turns to gold joe madden from a few years ago thing that Mm. you know that mike schilt is doing so i don't i don't know it was very strange that was particularly perplexing the tyler o'neill thing and uh we probably won't ever actually get you know clear and complete explanations for it which just means we get to keep talking about it and wondering
0: <laughs> well i mean if tyler really gets traded this off season it might be uh, right right at least indicate that there's something else there but you're right i mean this i mean there were th- th- indications of this all year long i mean in various places not only Neil, but you know the, the the use of of andrew kisner the the fact that you know He couldn't get a sniff of playing time, but as soon as he went down, Matt Wieters actually could catch the second game of a doubleheader or things of that nature. Um, You know, it's weird. And again, I'm a big, I like Mike Schilt. I think he does a a great job and and this team really responds to him, but that doesn't mean that he's, you know, perfect or immune to criticism. And there were some weird things uh, in this series. I, it's a little bit frustrating to see the Cardinals lose a series, but on the other hand, I don't think any of us expected this team to go far. I mean, it feels—I mean, would you, except for the fact that the Cardinals and the Dodger kind of have the Dodgers number at times, would you really expect this team to beat the Dodgers in the next round? I—I don't, I don't think I would.
1: <laughs> no, I, and not only did I not expect them to go far. To some degree, this is going to sound super cynical, but I think a lot of people will agree. I'm almost glad that they didn't because Mm. we've talked before about kind of the the reward of a bad process (laughs) and (laughs) not necessarily wanting anyone to assume that what they did was good or okay or what they should do again because they ended up with favorable results. So in terms of that, had they... Advanced, had they, you know, gone on some miracle run, it would have given the front office a lot more reason to say, see, we told you it just had to come together at the right time instead of looking at it and going, okay, but there are still some clear flaws and this isn't actually working and they're not a particularly exciting team to watch 90% of the time which, you know, excitement doesn't always win ball games, but look at what was going on in in San Diego, right? So there's something about a team that's exciting um, that can turn the tide not just for your fans, but for the energy level on the team and going into a new season where potentially, hopefully there aren't as many restrictions because of COVID, although it, I can imagine that it's quite likely that some things will, will still mm-hmm. be in place there. um, You know, you have to, you have to do something different and moving too far into this postseason, I think would have given them an excuse not to.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's an argument to, that you'd rather be, exciting and bad than boring and good because at least that way people will come buy tickets um i don't know how are how far you want to take that argument obviously but um there is something to that right i mean if if the cardinals had missed the postseason and especially this year i mean obviously this year has all sorts of red flags and, and caveats and all that kind of stuff and if they had missed the postseason this year we'd have understood it. Although it had been a little bit more difficult since like everybody in the National League Central went to the (laughs) finals. Although none of them actually did anything. To be fair, (laughs) the
1: Pirates are the only team that did not lose a postseason game.
0: That's right. Um, And they won just as many as everybody, but the Cardinals. So, um, you know, something. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a mess. Um, And I think this is what we've said for a while, which you, you, even if it's even if they gamble on something that doesn't work i think the fan base is is to the point where they would accept that you know it's like look at least they tried to do something instead of we like what we have these guys are going to get better they're going to be fine because you know next year we won't play 1800 double headers and um you know they'll be able to, to bond with each other and we'll be all great I don't think anybody's going to buy that. And if they're not buying that, they're not buying tickets, assuming that they can literally buy tickets. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that's part of it. I mean, they're going to have to replace that cash flow somehow. And if you're not putting out a product that people are excited about, it becomes very, very difficult. Now, again, this is Cardinal, this is St. Louis. This is—I'm not suggesting that the, the stadium will be empty if they open the right. gates and say everybody can, you know, forty thousand possible. They're going to get thirty, thirty-five thousand. Yeah, just in general. But
1: and they're banking think, on that. They're, yeah. they're certainly banking on that sort of thing that is St. Louis Cardinals baseball. However, this is probably a super lame analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's <laughs> almost the difference for me in watching a guy strike out at the end of a game looking versus swinging. Hmm. At least swing the bat. Right. At least show me that you're making an attempt. If you take three strikes down the middle and never the bat never leaves your shoulder, I'm going to be way more mad about that than if you at least take a couple hacks, foul a few off and end up striking out anyway. So to your point, just me personally, as a person who watches this team play baseball a lot, I would rather them try something <laughs> Than to just sort of maintain the status quo and expect a different results. Now the thing is trying something may result in trading some fan favorite players. It might result in contracts that are, you know, options, not, not like actual contractual options, but I mean, they have the option to, whether it's Adam Wainwright or even Yadier Molina or whatever it is, that that trying something, if it's going to be something enough, might hurt a little bit at first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you'll see if there's any sort of positive as a result of that. And I'm aware of that. I don't love that part of it. And I don't think the front office loves that part of it either. But you got to swing the bat.
0: It you know, that almost reminds me to to type a little bit back to where we were starting again another story about Bob Gibson and the the GM at the time, I think it may have been being divine, came up to him and said, We have a chance to get Joe Torrey. And he said, Well, you should do that. You get Joe Torre. And then they traded for Torrey, but they traded Orlando Sapeda. And Gibson came up and said, I didn't tell you to trade Sapeda for him. You know, it's it's this idea that we have to be open to whatever they're gonna do, if they're gonna do something new i mean it, it you're right there is this there's this function as fans i think to uh, say do something but don't do that well <laughs> yeah. you've got to you've got to leave the options open to say you know if you're going to make this team a more dynamic team maybe that means and Kister behind the plate i'm not saying it does but maybe you know maybe that's what you have to do maybe it is you have to put Austin Gombrie instead of Adam Wainwright? I hope not, but that may be the way the case it may be. And you kind of, I don't want to say that you just have to accept what the front office gives you. I'm not going to tell anybody, I guess, how to fan if we, as it is, but I think you have to at least work that out and and understand and try to separate the the personal attachment we have to players to the idea that if we want to get something different, I'm not even saying better, just different, Mm it's going to take different people because you can't keep putting the same product out there and expecting different results. Now Cardinals have been fortunate when they put a, when they put the product out there often they're in the postseason, So they don't really want a different result. Yeah. And, yeah. But when you're talking about the buzz around the team, when you're talking about it, and again, we're on Twitter a lot, maybe that's not a great representation, but I feel like that's, that's a really vocal spot where good or bad, you're going to hear about it. And yeah. that leads over i think even to regular fans i think it's to twitter's not a necessarily representation of the fan base but it can kind of get the temperature of it and if that's a blowing up you know maybe you need to do something
1: and i will say this as someone who has repeatedly said i want adam wainwright and yadier molina back Mm -hmm. next year Mm -hmm. from an emotional standpoint if they choose not to do that they had better come up with something good to create that newness. Because if you let Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina sign with a different team and play in a different Jersey and you don't do anything exciting in return. Oh mm. buddy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is not the kind of different that you're going to want to deal with.
0: Yeah. Well, we're talking about sacred cows. However, um, Colton Wong has an option. <laughs> um, if they don't pick that up, what happens?
1: You know, It's interesting. This is the first year because he's been in trade rumors and all kinds of things for forever. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the first year that I'm looking at this team and going, look, I love watching Colton Wong play. I love Colton Wong as the second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals. I do not want to see that change. However, you got to shake it up. You have to do something. And if that something means that you trade away Colton Wong, because uh, you know, it's, Because of where he's at in in his career, then again, you better get something pretty good in return. And I'm not going to be super happy about it, but you know, this team can't keep doing the same thing that it's always done, you know, for the last five years or so. And for a while, we blamed it on Mike Matheny. And yes, we saw an uptick once Mike Matheny left, but a lot of the personnel has stayed the same, or at least the same type of player, and it's not really getting any better from an offensive perspective. So yes, even Colton Wong is a part of that Mm -hmm. mix where it's like, if that's the move that it takes to create something that, that is a little more exciting. Look, I think Colton Wong is an incredibly exciting player. I think if you take him out of the mix, the Cardinals have very few exciting players on the field, Um, but they need more than one or two in that whole conversation. And, you have to be able to give you have to be willing to give something of major league caliber away in order to get something of major league caliber in return and that's the part of the process that nobody's gonna like but like I said whether it's Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina or Colton Wong or you know Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader or whomever it might be um they better come back with something that is in fact more exciting, not just sort of like a swap of <laughs> more players of the same exact, you know, cookie cutter whatever that is kind of the St. Louis brand right now. Um well, otherwise and I think it's that that gonna feel definitely. like you took away our favorites and didn't give us anything cool in return.
0: Well I was gonna say I think that you can't let Molina and Wainwright and Wong go strictly because of financial reasons.
1: Right. Absolutely. Uh, and
0: say, it has to make you aff- better. Right. You can't just say we can't afford these guys. You know, we had no money coming in this year, at least for a long period of time, we've got to cut the budget. You know, we want to keep them, but we can't. And we can't, you know, Tommy Edwin can play second base and, you know,
1: Hey, you know Max we've got, got our, played second base a number of times this year, and they. He
0: also pitched, so you also know, you know, <laughs> possibility we're looking at the two way players again. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you know, and you we've got Matt Carpenter under contract for this sh- coming year anyway, so he can play third. I mean, you know, what they will do this offseason is going to be very interesting because of all the variables. But um what we do hope, and and to be fair what the Cardinals have typically done is try to improve the team. We might not disagree, agree with what they're doing or how they're doing it, but they have not ever gone into a, the next year determined to do, you know, to, to gut the team or to to be worse than they were. So, you know, whether it's trying to build too much into internal options or whatever the case may be, but they do try to get better. So, you know, We'll have to wait and see. And obviously, we're going to to wait a little while because nothing is going to happen until the playoffs are over. And that will be a while, I guess, since we're just now technically starting where we would be starting the playoffs. Weird year. Um, But anyway, Tara and I will be with you throughout this whole process to talk about what the Cardinals are doing and what they're not doing. Um, And we will be back at you again next Sunday night. Um, And so until then, that is Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night.
1: Hey Cardinals fans, thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.